Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlscott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. My guest in this episode is Nathan Graff from Swarthmore College, a small liberal arts college located just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Nathan and I discussed Swarthmore's carbon charge program. Nathan explains the origins of their policy, the nuts and bolts of how the carbon charge is calculated, and how the funds from the program are used. We go on to discuss how putting a price on carbon has impacted students, faculty, and staff, as well as the reputation of Swarthmore as a leader in sustainability. We explore Swarthmore's use of a shadow price on carbon when evaluating larger capital projects and the challenges of calculating a specific cost for the impacts of carbon emissions on society at large. Nathan explains how Swarthmore's program compares to alternative approaches used by other institutions that are also working to put a price on carbon emissions. I hope you enjoy this May 16th interview with Nathan Graff. Well, Nathan, it's great to have you on the podcast today, and uh, it's nice to visit you here on this rainy day in Swarthmore campus. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I, I thought we'd start, if you could just maybe give us a brief introduction to yourself and to the campus, and more importantly, how you came to put a price on carbon here at Swarthmore. Yeah, of course. So we're at Swarthmore College. Uh, Swarthmore is a small liberal arts college outside of Philadelphia. We have about 1,500 students here. Uh, and I am an alum from the class of 2016 and staff in the Office of Sustainability, and my position is the, the Climate Action Senior Fellow. So our carbon price actually came out of a reading group. Back in the summer of 2015, uh, a group of economics faculty, uh, they had semi-regular uh, summer reading groups just to, to learn about interesting topics in economics. And that particular summer, they chose to focus their, their studies on carbon pricing. And on to that reading group, uh, a couple other environmental studies faculty and an alum and a staff member also joined. And they spent the summer learning about carbon pricing, and they learned uh, about climate change. And as members of the audience know, uh, climate change threatens um, human safety and well-being to an unacceptable level, and we have to keep within two degrees of warming. And to align with that two-degree scenario, we need to keep upwards of 80% of fossil fuel reserves in the ground. Uh, and to do that, we need a dramatic transformation of our heat, electricity, uh, industrial food, transportation systems. And all of those systems, of course, are governed by businesses or governments that, whether for legal reasons or their fiduciary responsibility, have to make decisions based on the bottom line. And that makes making these dramatic transformations really, really hard when their top priority is, is finances. Um, and it has to be. And a carbon price, a price on carbon, has a tremendous potential to, to change that playing field, to make all of those fights winnable, to, to make renewable and sustainable options competitive, and to make it unprofitable to extract upwards of 80% of fossil fuels. So the reading group learned about this, and they, they uh, kind of towards the end of the summer, then they started asking the question, well, great, so we, we, we have a sense of what the solution is. Uh, we, we have uh, some really great ideas about what the world should do. So... But it, it doesn't feel satisfying to just sit on that in our ivory tower and say, well, great, we, we know what the solution is, and we're just going to sit on that knowledge and be smug about it and know what everyone else should be doing with their time and efforts. So then the, the next question was, what would it mean to actually act on this, to, to bring this solution to Swarthmore? 
And to do that, they, they put together a first draft of an internal carbon pricing program for the college. And they went through this process through that fall semester of bringing it to different stakeholders on campus, to the president, to the faculty, to the staff, to the, to the board of managers, the sustainability committee, facilities, finance, and so forth. And they asked everyone in that group, like, what, what is your feedback? What, uh, what works about this for you? What makes sense? What doesn't? What changes would you make? And they went through at least five different uh, iterations of drafts incorporating that feedback uh, before it was finally approved by the board of managers in February of 2016 to, to go into effect in the 2017 financial year. These, uh, these were faculty who know how to get stuff done on higher ed, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> Talk to everybody clearly. first. That's great. So, so where do they go from there? Uh, yeah, so that was the, it was approved in February of 2016. Um, I graduated and joined the office in June of 2016. Uh, and that September, uh, the Carbon Charge Committee was formed. So this uh, committee has governance over the implementation of the, the Carbon Charge Program in all its aspects, and that has representation from faculty, from the Office of Sustainability, from students, uh, facilities, finance, uh, information technology, uh, and, and other campus stakeholders um, to, to continue to govern, build, and grow the carbon pricing program. Great. So, so you started with this group of economists that's really group. They read about it, thought it was an interesting idea, then brought it to the campus, uh, talked to everybody on campus, got it adopted as policy on the campus, and then set up this committee. Is that, did I get that right? Yes. Great. So, well, maybe we should back up a second and let just Tell me more about what, what does it even mean to put a price on carbon? Because there's a big difference between a global price on carbon versus a national price on carbon versus a price on carbon here at a liberal arts college in Pennsylvania. So tell me more about what you mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. To, to start on the bigger picture. So there's two, two really common ways to understand a price on carbon and a spectrum in between them. And that's a, a carbon fee or a cap and trade system. So uh, a carbon fee, I think, is the simplest model where you levy a fee on fossil fuels or, or other sources of carbon at the point where they enter the economy. So that's the, the point of extraction or the point of import. Uh, and, and that price signal is passed down through the supply chain and through the economy. The other model is a, a cap-and-trade program where there's a, a finite set of permits that are d- permits to emit greenhouse gases that are distributed to emitting sources. And they can trade those permits uh, for money such that the the... Firms are incentivized to either reduce emissions and the, the emissions reductions will go to the place where they, they cost the least. So what does it mean to, to bring that policy to campus? Um, so there's actually a, a lot of different models for, for how that can look. So I think it's actually helpful to start with Yale's program. Yale uh, beat out Swarthmore by a year. They, they uh, had a, their carbon price system first, and they actually had four different carbon pricing systems. Uh, they their their goal is to model what what systems are most effective, but <clears throat> their the one that they have this year I think is helpful to describe where they actually measure the emissions that uh, each department and office is responsible for, and they have a revenue system or a revenue neutral carbon pricing system such that departments gain or make a little bit of revenue if they can reduce emissions faster than Yale as a whole, and they lose a little bit of money if they reduce emissions slower than Yale as a whole or increase in their emissions. Swarthmore uh, doesn't quite have the metering capacity to make a precise measure of what our English department is emitting, especially since so many departments share buildings here on a, a very small campus. So in our system, we can think of all of Swarthmore like one of Yale's departments. So 
for Swarthmore's entire emissions, and that's charged as a percentage of our operating budget, and every department and office on campus pays their share in the first year. There's one and a quarter percent of their individual operating budgets for the year. We also, in addition to that charge, that levy that raises revenue, uh, we have a shadow price that is just a tool in decision making, and that's focusing on uh, campus-wide decisions, especially capital planning, uh, construction renovations, and so forth. And, and that's just a tool in decision making where we're when such that when we're looking at different options, we in the pricing of different options, we also look at the life cycle emissions associated with both of them, or at least a, a good estimate of those emissions. And and we charge a hundred dollars a ton as we're doing that cost benefit analysis. Got it. So so your internal price on departments is uh, relatively straightforward. It's just one and a quarter percent. There's no nobody's measuring it directly. It's just mm-hmm. that's you've kind of um, chosen that as the the amount based on your total emissions and then just divvying it up by your budget. Precisely, at least okay. for the time being. Right. Okay. So the one and a quarter percent is really a, a it's a function of what would our carbon cost us anyway, and then just divvying that up relative to your overall budget rather mm-hmm. than it. Okay. But then the shadow price, your if you're going to build a new building and you're looking at should we build it this way or that way or that way, when you put that in front of the board of trustee or the board of I can't remember what you called them here, yeah, board of managers, board of managers here, mm-hmm. then uh, they would see that carbon price as part of the finances so that they could help use that as a tool to help make the decision. Exactly. Like, is that right? Yes. Okay. All right, that makes sense. All right. So well, now that you've you've set this up, so you you've been you've run this since 2015. It sounds like. What what would you have done differently to set it up now that, that you've been through it? Or what would what it, maybe a better question is, what advice would you give to other campuses who are just starting out? Yeah, what advice? So I think that the, the biggest driver in how you set up a carbon charge program is to understand the motivations in the specific institutional context. So there's a lot of different... Uh, a lot of different goals that can be met better or worse by different carbon pricing models. If a goal on your campus is to find revenue to support projects, then uh, something like Swarthmore's model work, all of our revenue, it's revenue positive, so we're not returning the, those funds out to departments and offices, and they, that supports uh, mostly energy efficiency and other sustainability work on campus. So a, a revenue positive program may, makes sense for you there. Uh, if you're most interested in exploring carbon pricing academically and, and learning about like what models work best and the psychology of how you make decisions within a carbon price, then you might consider something like Yale, where they actually had these four different programs and are trying different different ways to measure empirically what, what are the, the emissions impacts of each of these. Um, and it sounds like you need metering to do that too, right? Yes, you, yes, yeah. that's okay. true, that's true. Uh, and if your emphasis is on getting to zero emissions, then you might want to consider shadow price with the focus on the decision points and construction and capital planning rather than uh, an emphasis on the decisions that departments and offices are going to make, which is relatively smaller compared to, uh, are we putting this new building on ground source heat pumps or on a natural gas boiler? And then another motivation is uh, education and engagement and building momentum for a political solution. In that case, you want a program that's going to make sure you're going to touch everyone, that it's everyone's going to see it and interact with it, and that you have educational programming to go along with it, and it's not just something that's going to affect uh, budget managers or the folks in capital planning. Okay, so it sounds like you're using the money. It's revenue positive, meaning it, you're essentially expanding the budget of your campus so that you can do things you weren't doing before you had the carbon price. Versus Yale, it sounds like they're just... They're reallocating the existing budget in a different way, but using carbon as a lever to reallocate some of those funds. Precisely. Something yes. like that. Okay. And it sounds like you're, if I understand it correctly, you're using the money for 
energy efficiency projects. So what you said, and then um, what what else? You're you're doing education, or or how else are you using those funds? Yeah. So in the first year and in the subsequent years have more or less measured this. We spent about two thirds of the funds on seeding a green revolving loan fund, and we, we expect to continue to support and grow that green revolving loan fund to tackle efficiency projects. Another. Slightly less than a third uh, is allocated towards improving our metering uh, and doing long-term sustainability uh, planning and assessment to make sure that we're spending resources in the best way. Uh, and then uh, also a, a chunk of that money is dedicated to education and engagement and doing that, that public-facing work to make sure all of our campus is aware of and excited about carbon pricing. Got it. Buying pizza for students and... and mm -hmm. Yeah, hosting lectures, hosting events, uh, help supporting students to, to attend uh, regional carbon pricing-related events. Okay, well. great, great. And, and this all brings up the, something I see again and again and again in sustainability, which is the question of, you know, is a program or policy, especially around sustainability, is it focused on making the university a better-run machine, like a better business, or is it really more in support of the true mission, which is you know, research and education. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're absolutely uh, valuing both of those and incorporating both into the program. And I'll add the third, that we're also looking not just to make, make Sporth more greener, to, to reduce our own emissions. As, as important and valuable as that can be, uh, the real strategy to keep 80% of fossil fuels in the ground uh, is going to need to be a political solution. I, I find it very difficult to envision some world where uh, we say, oops, we, we've burned 19% of our emissions, we got 1% more, and then everyone in the world is just going to say, nope, we're, we're done, even if it's cheap and available and I need it to live. We, we really need uh, national and global policy solutions. So to that end, we're looking to also build political momentum and awareness and understanding of carbon pricing as a regional national policy. Swarthmore's president, uh, President Valerie Smith, was the second signatory to the Put a Price on a Campaign, a, a letter calling on elected leaders to take action towards carbon pricing. And beyond that, she also uh, worked with four other college and university presidents to reach out to a number of their peers, and it directly resulted in another 30 uh, signatories joining, and more have joined since. So we're, we're very excited to do the education engagement on campus and uh, to, to bring that along. Yeah, so it's not just education of your students; it's education of the world at large. Yes, it sounds like yes. well, that's that's great. It sounds like that would be a bigger, a big, much bigger lever, especially for unlike maybe a big research institution, which could be like the one of the biggest contributors in their region. You know, relative to mm -hmm. Philadelphia at large, even you know, Swarthmore's yeah, pretty small, precisely. But that's a place where you can punch above your weight a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, has that been the motivation of how you've set up your program, or is that is it is that sort of just come out organically from learning about it and thinking about it. Yeah, I think a lot of different people who had a say in the, who, who were involved in developing the program kind of came to it with different lenses and different motivations and different particular areas that they were most excited about. So as you can probably hear, I'm most excited about education and political impact from the program. Uh, other uh, members of the, the Carpenter Church Committee and of the faculty group were really excited about Getting Swarthmore to zero emissions. Of course, facilities spends a lot of time thinking about that. Others are interested in behavior change side of things. How how that be on departments will influence behavior of individuals. So, with with those and other priorities, I think those all influence the, the development of the program as a, as a total. And it's not a perfect program, and we, we knew that, and we that was part of the development going in. But we didn't want to let perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, we felt like we had a, a carbon charge system that 
made sense and was low risk and we were excited to move forward with that quickly rather than uh, puttering around and kicking it through committees for, for five years before we felt like we could develop something that was absolutely perfect. Yeah, well, it sounds like your uh, your group of economists uh, moved swiftly through the departments the first time around and did, did all the did. hard work. That's yes. great. Um, well, so walk me through some of the logistics. Uh, just to maybe first start with a campus, just so people have a sense of how big the campus is. I'm here. I can look out the window, but um, yeah. just number of buildings, students, etc. And then then let's get into the actual specifics of the program itself. Yeah, so Swarthmore is small overall, well, it's college, and we're a proportionately small campus. Uh, we have about 60 buildings. We're about uh, one and a half square miles in campus size. We consume something like 15,000 megawatt, megawatt hours of electricity annual, and I think something like 72,000 decatherms of natural gas, if I got that right. What about the central system? Do you have a central plant here, or how is the campus heated? Yeah, we have a fun mix of systems. We have uh, a bunch of buildings that are heated on a central plant that's on a steam system, and we're, we're looking at a hydronic conversion. We have two buildings on the far north and south end of campus that are heated by ground source heat pumps. We have one building that's on an air source heat pump system, and a whole bunch of other buildings that are on local natural gas boilers. Well, they, they like to experiment, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So walk me through the basic logistics of the program. I think you mentioned before it's one and a quarter percent of their mm-hmm. operating budget. So if I'm the head of an English department, do I just see that on my bill? Do I get a bill? Like, what is there a way I can not have that bill if I save carbon? Or what's the what's the process? Yeah, so that one and a quarter percent will show up as a line item on your budget. Our system does not. There's not currently a way to to reduce that that number by saving carbon. We hope that is development in the program in the future. Um, interestingly, despite that fact, with the, the advent of the carbon charge, as it's been showing up, we've gotten a whole lot of questions from a lot of people who are now asking us, how can we how can we reduce our emissions? How can we reduce our department's emissions? Even though there's not immediately a financial incentive for it. Uh, we, we found that that's just seeing that on their budget has brought a lot of folks to the table who who otherwise wouldn't be the, the usual suspects. So they see it. That's great. And then is there a way for them to reduce it? Not at the moment, except insofar as uh, if you reduce your emissions as the chemistry department, and that proportionately brings down the entire Swarth- all of Swarthmore's emissions, that some fraction of that comes bouncing back to you, but it is a it's a very very small fraction. So it's like a carbon commune in that case, right? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so the, the the reduction the benefits of reduction are shared uh, for for the time being. Got it. Okay, but. Um... But it's also simple, so you, you can figure it out. It doesn't take, you can do it probably in a spreadsheet in your office in the mm-hmm. afternoon to figure out the, the charge. It's not. Yes. Okay, great. Um, well, that and actually leads into a good question. I remember uh, seeing your boss, Aurora, at the Second Nature Summit this last February, and she got into a, a we'll call it a public de- a heated debate um, when one of the other people there was was kind of going off on, the idea of setting up carbon charges at small schools was just a waste of time in, in this person's opinion. And Aurora stood up and said, no, you know, this really has been, we've done it and it wasn't that hard. And, you know, it's been amazing on, on how many different people it's touched just because people are talking about it now that weren't otherwise talking about it. And so maybe you can tell me more about that. Like how, how has that affected campus? Like what, what are some of the stories that have come out of that from you didn't have a charge. Now you have a charge. What's different? Yeah, so I think we've been, as I, I mentioned a minute ago, that we've so many people have been really excited and interested in learning to reduce their their footprint. Related to that, um, I mean, we, we were looking to the program anyway, but it 
uh, was a good nudge for us to start a new program, Sustainability Advocates. So we have uh, a lot of schools have eco reps or, or peer educators, and we're, we're now in. We just finished our, our first year of a, an analogous program where there, we have eco reps for departments and offices to help them work with students to find pathways to reduce their own emissions. We've also, even though this doesn't actually touch students at all, I mean, we're, we're not we're not charging students. Um, but uh, we, a lot of students have been really interested and engaged. Uh, and a, the Swarth, a Swarthmore chapter of a Put a Price on It campaign has started on campus. Uh, and, and they've been doing a, a lot of work. They've produced a, a weekly newsletter to help educate and engage the campus. They've been producing articles. Uh, they gave a, made a really helpful graphic for explaining the carbon charge. Uh, and they've been in conversation with the Delaware County Council. So I mean, President Smith signed this, this letter calling on elected officials to take action on carbon pricing. That's not gathering just in a drawer somewhere. Our students are using that in conversation with our, our local elected officials. So I, I think this has had a, a really tremendous impact outsized to the to the, the amount of effort invested. And I mean, it's not that quick or easy. And you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do to continue to, to build build a system for understanding what individual departments' emissions are, uh, for learning how to do better life cycle cost analysis, to learn what the carbon emissions of different construction decisions are. And it's a process, but it's it's absolutely been worth it. It took me a while to get my own head around your program. Um, and I think partly because I heard about Yale's originally. And yes. it was cool what they were doing, but it seemed like it was an academic exercise in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. And it seemed like there was a lot of work going into figuring out how to charge people. And to that point, I think, you know, the other person's complaint about the program could be true for a school that's not Yale, that's not, mm-hmm. you know, like a major research institution doing that kind of work anyway. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see how you've, um, sort of morphed that into your own, in, into your own program. Mm-hmm. So you're, you have all this, this money. What are you using? What are some of the projects that have come out of that so far then? Like you're doing some actual, you know, boots in the ground or shovels in the dirt or whatever the right expression is there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, so one, one chunk of the, the money in the first year went to planning, um, planning and assessment and that helped uh, us undertake a facilities condition assessment to identify all of our list of efficiency projects that we can undertake on campus. And then we funded a green revolving fund with the other chunk of it to help actually start to undertake those. Uh, on our campus, we, we are highly prioritizing lighting efficiency right now. We have a, a lot of uh, potential for LED upgrades that pay for themselves very, very quickly. So that's that's been our emphasis. So we, we've done some retrofits of uh, our athletic facility lighting. Uh, we're now moving on to the tennis courts. Um, we've done outdoor lighting. Uh, we're now looking at the libraries and the science center as our next big projects. Got it. But because it's coming from the carbon program, everybody knows about it. Like they sort of associate their money with that versus it just being in the facility department or is that? Yeah, that's the hope. That's, yeah. that's what we're working towards, yes. Okay, well, that makes sense. Well, so tell me more about how you've been interacting with other schools that are doing this. You've mentioned Yale. I know I became aware of your program through some conference calls that uh, you and I think Yale and Vassar were leading mm-hmm. a couple years ago. What did you learn from those other schools? Just tell me more about how you've collaborated. Yeah, so immediately, of course, after we launched, we reached out to Yale and we reached out to Vassar, who was just in a similar stage of having launching their own uh, Shadow Price program. But after those conversations and learning about the potential here, we've been really interested in sharing this solution more broadly with higher education. Uh, and we, we've had a lot of conversations and uh, hosted a, a conference, and we regularly have been speaking at Smart Sustainable Campus Conference, ASHE and others, uh, about how to start a, a carbon pricing program. Since then, and we can't 
claim credit for it, but I, I think it is a growing solution. And uh, Arizona State University, I understand, has a shadow price now. MIT is starting a shadow price in facilities. I think Princeton may have had one even even before uh, we did. Uh, and I you know Smith and Wesleyan, I think, are at least in, uh, engaged in conversation and taking steps towards considering that option. So we're really excited to bring the solution uh, to higher education more broadly. It's actually as exciting and innovative as it is for a school to undertake it. Uh, there are hundreds of, of companies that are already already pricing carbon. So we, we think it's, the higher education sector actually has a little bit of catching up to do in some ways. And then beyond working with other sustainability staff, we've also, that student put a price on a group has been reaching out to the students at a lot of other schools and we're, we're excited for to find those opportunities for coordination and collaboration with other students. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've seen, you know, I know even ExxonMobil and uh, certainly Microsoft and Google and some other companies like that are using various forms of shadow pricing and other uh, mm-hmm. techniques. So I know one of the challenges in doing the, you know, using a price, and we run into this in our own analysis mm-hmm. in my work, is what price do you use? Because if you use a really low price, like you know five dollars a ton, or if it's in line with what you would buy, low quality offsets or you know unverified offsets, I guess is probably the better way to say it. It doesn't really change your decision making because it's frankly not that expensive. Mm-hmm. But if it's really expensive, you know, like a hundred dollars a ton, all of a sudden it will start moving the needle on a decision you would have made one way, you won't make it another way. So how have you landed on a price that you use, or what price have you used? I guess we haven't really talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So our Le'Veon Departments is about $24 a ton, and our shadow price uh, is about $100 a ton. So first, I want to acknowledge that like, a really common way to select those um, is, is based on the social cost of carbon framework, which asks the question, what is the, the damage from emitting one more ton of carbon into the atmosphere? And the EPA uh, did this really preliminary analysis that incorporated things like the cost of uh, increased heating and air conditioning costs and the real estate value that would go underwater and some loss of agriculture and some spread of certain diseases. Um, and, and it was a very uh, limited analysis. Um, digging into the bigger questions of what the climate impacts are actually going to look like in terms of resource wars, in terms of mass migration, uh, in terms of political instability, and that gets to a point where it's really impossible to know if the social cost of carbon is a uh, hundred or a thousand or, or greater. So in some ways I've actually found it, despite as common as it is for people to just cite like that $40 median number as the, the default, I think it's actually more helpful to look at a framework asking the question of what price on carbon is necessary to align developed economies with a two-degree scenario. And and that's also, there's also a big range there for sure, but it's a a little bit narrower. And most of the research that we could find um, was pretty consistently in the band of about like 50 to about $200 per ton. Uh, So, you know, also also a factor of four range, but a a little bit more contained. Uh, And that's where Swarthmore came to our $100 a ton figure from. And you use that for your shadow pricing for infrastructure decision-making, not for charging your English department. Yes. That, okay. Uh, and, and charging a department is also influenced by questions about the impacts on individual department budgets and how much revenue that we have the capacity to, to spend effectively. When you're moving money within the institution, uh, there's some, some other um, other factors. Got it. Yeah. Considering as well. Naturally. Yeah, that makes sense. The realities of... of uh, Departmental budgeting are complicated enough, I yes. suppose, and yes. that's reflected in, in most of these hundreds of businesses that have shadow have carbon prices, uh, have lower charges on branches, uh, higher shadow prices on capital investments, and very high shadow prices in some cases on research and development priorities. 
Got it. And I suppose that has to do with the, the length of the decision that you're making because the department's annual budget is going to reset mm-hmm. next year and you can always change that carbon price for next year as time goes on or um, yeah. versus putting in a building that's going to be there for a hundred years. Exactly. Now's the yep. time to make that decision. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, to, you know, to that EPA study, I remember reading and hearing quite a bit about that. And I, I, from what I understand, they basically said, we will put in there what we can quantify, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of things they couldn't quantify. Yep. Precisely. And at a certain point you start, destroying the economy itself it's therefore money has no meaning and then mm-hmm. you sort of get into this the, the, the dollar amount doesn't actually have a value at all right yes. so i guess you do the best you can yeah well okay so now this has been in place again for since 2015 and what would you do differently now like if you were to set it up all over again and have to go back in time how might you approach it differently than you did, or did, did it just go really well? It sounds like it's gone pretty smoothly, but that's yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've had no, no shortages of challenges in many of our programs, but this one's actually, uh, yeah, this one's gone pretty, pretty, pretty clean cut. Um, I think the faculty reading group did a lot of work to bring in a lot of stakeholders, um, and I think uh, that went really well. And like taking that even one step further, it took us a minute to to bring ITS into the conversation or information information technology services, especially about efficiency projects. Uh, and metering that they are, it's really important for them to be at the table at early. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have any uh, large changes immediately off the top of my head. Well, it, it sounds like, yeah, having that group of faculty members that knew how the university works or the college mm-hmm. works probably had a lot to do with that rather than this, like, say, being a mandate from the president and just saying, mm-hmm. thou shalt make this happen. But is that partly why you think it went so smoothly or what, what else might have contributed yeah, to that? And to their credit, so they, they actually, they went to the president first uh, and they went to president Smith and she was on board and thought this made sense, but she, she said that, that sounds great, but you need to, to talk to all these other stakeholders first. We're not going to mandate this. And then, then they went through that process of engaging with so many other members of campus. And then, then they were able to bring it back to, to the president and the board of managers and say like, we, we've, brought in all of this other feedback and heard all these lenses and we've addressed, we've made these changes and addressed these concerns and these people are excited now and now we have campus-wide buy-in. Uh, and that was the point where um, they, were, they were ready to sign off on it. I'm sure they like it when they can sign off on something like that where yeah, everybody's on board, let's go. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. Well, good. Well, anything else I didn't ask you about or anything you'd like to share with the world that we haven't talked about so far? Yeah, I, I think that that covered the, the major bases. We're super excited to talk with any schools who want to learn more about internal carbon pricing, carbon pricing more broadly, or help think through what it might look like at their own institution and how to get that done. Uh, we'll also be hosting a couple sessions at ACHE, including a pre-slash-post-conference workshop if you want to take a day to, to workshop through it with um, us, as well as uh, Casey Pickett from Yale and some folks at Smith. Yeah, and we're, we're really excited to help bring carbon pricing to higher education. Well, great, Nathan. Thanks for having me here at your office today. It was uh, it was fun to do my first live podcast interview. You're my you know, my first in person one. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah. yeah, and thanks so much for the opportunity to share. That's it for this episode. To learn more, you can always see the show notes at our website at campusenergypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Energy Podcast. This show is a free service, but if you'd like to support the show please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or just telling a friend about the show. As always, thanks for listening.